0: There's always one essential question that I'm asking in every episode of grounded content. Today, the question is, how do we get ourselves to create? We've talked a lot about strategy, about tactics, about getting the attention that we need for the content. But what about those days when it's really hard to make the content? Welcome to the grounded content podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. This is the show for you. If you are a professional creative, someone who makes stuff for a living, or make stuff to help your business succeed. Today I'm talking to Greg Clunas, and there are a couple reasons that I've asked him to be on the show. He is a grounded creator. He's the host and the producer of the very successful show, Tiny Leap's Big Changes, but he's always got a million other projects going. And that mix of his own personal creativity, his own independent work ethic, and also his study of self-development are the combination that I wanted to talk about. Are creativity and productivity at odds with one another? How do you get the work done when you're not feeling it? Is it even possible to be creative under those circumstances? What does working even look like for a creative? I mean, so much of it happens inside of our minds. And how is Greg thinking about self-development, which in turn helps us think about our own creativity? All right, here we go. So, Greg Clunas, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, Mary. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. This is going to be so cool because, Greg, you are a veteran podcaster. You know, podcasters are always the best podcast guests because they're good at talking about things.
1: We like to hear ourselves speak. It's basically what it comes down to.
0: (laughs) So many people are working remotely or self-employed like you and I have been for many years And it can be a real challenge to get out of your own way and actually be productive. And so, Greg, you have produced a show called Tiny Leaps, Big Changes for a long time. Yeah. And it means not only have you been an independent creator and earning your livelihood as an independent creator, but you've also really spent a lot of time examining how we motivate ourselves and what some of the challenges are to that. Mm -hmm. How do you think about the biggest challenges for creatives who are working in isolation?
1: I think something that's really interesting to think about with creativity just as a process, like when you really sit and you engage with the creative process, one, it's unique to everybody. And so, there is a significant amount of time that needs to be spent on figuring out what your creative process looks like. And that can take years. That that can be a really, really long process to really dial into. The end state of that, the like valuable outcome from that work is that you start to recognize what productivity actually looks like for you. Uh, and, and so, for example, I produce a lot, I get a lot done and I, I publish a lot to the world, whether that's in the form of podcast episodes or building apps or creating written work or, or whatever it might be. But I actually don't work all that much. In the sort of traditional sense, like I'm not really like chained to my desk in the way that we all sort of think of of work. And a big part of that for me is recognizing that I produce really fast when I've given myself the time to think. And, and so, the space away from the work is actually a really important part of my creative process. It's not uh, laziness. It's not checking out. It's not, oh, I'm not doing enough. It's this is actually a requirement if I want to get uh, my stuff out. So taking the time to understand what your creative process needs to be and how you personally engage with creativity, I think that's kind of the first important part of figuring out how do I get myself to consistently do things and and uh, uh, really starting to question like, what does productivity even mean? What does consistency even mean? Like, what are these words that that we all say we should live by and work by, um, but never actually examine what they look like for us?
0: That is so interesting. So, it it's kind of the opposite of the press Stephen Pressfield model, who's always been a hero of mine. Mm. And the, even the, um, you know, all those writers who say you just like, you have to don't wait for inspiration. Yeah. You just need to set a time to be at your desk every day. But you're you're saying for you it's different.
1: I think it's similar in the sense that like you have to work through things regularly. I think the part that changes from in my experience is what does work mean? Like for me, showing up every day at my desk and writing or or whatever it might be, that isn't how I think. And so just showing up and tapping out a bunch of stuff, like that's not really going to move anything forward. What moves it forward is engaging with the work and then disengaging so that my mind can think about what I just did and what I should do next. Um, I still view that as showing up. Like I'm, I'm not ignoring the thing, I'm working through it. It's just I'm not sitting chained to a desk and, and showing up and clocking in, clocking out. Uh, instead, I'm giving myself space to actually think.
0: You talked about engaging with the work. Do you think it's different when you're doing your own work for yourself versus doing client work where you may be less personally engaged in the content?
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to like level of excitement in a lot of ways. Because, um, of course, like something you crafted, you're putting together for you, there is a an, an inherent engagement there that is hard to replicate, even in the most exciting of of uh, client projects. But if you are able to be excited about whatever it is you're working on for a client, then it becomes significantly easier to engage with that work and continue showing up and so on and so forth. Versus having to rely on some of the like productivity tools and systems and things like that. Because when you really sit and look at it, from my perspective, creativity and productivity are polar opposites. They exist together. They are both required. But the tools and systems like in a perfect productive world, there would be no creativity. It would just be Everything's a, an SOP and we follow these systems and checklists and that's how we produce as much as possible. Um, creativity comes in and it requires you to slow down and produce quality versus just getting as much, as many units out. Uh, and so those two things, there's a lot of tension trying to get them to work together. When you're dealing with client work, there's a a significant amount of productivity required in order to get it out fast and get paid for it and and keep your rates high enough so that you're able to run a profitable business. And and that's just a requirement of being in business. But if you're able to be excited about the work, then you're able to keep showing up and doing what you need to do while still engaging with how do I make this the, the highest possible quality I can given the time that I have
0: do you think it's as simple as like, if you can't get excited about the work, don't take the job? Or do you think it's like, there are some things that I can do to kind of hack myself into engagement? Yeah, something.
1: So for me, there isn't like, I can't get excited about something that I'm not inherently there for. I, I don't believe in like, if you're not excited, you shouldn't take it. Like, people have got to pay their bills. Like there is a, a financial requirement to being a creative that that we all need to fulfill. And so uh, we unfortunately don't have the luxury to say if I'm not excited, then I won't take it unless we're keeping it as a hobby and we have our funds coming from somewhere else. Uh, if we're going to do this professionally, then there's some amount of work I'm not excited for that pays the bills that needs to be done. And that's where you rely heavily on well, this isn't creatively exciting to me. So I'm just going to do the productivity thing. Like I'm going to track everything on a spreadsheet. I'm going to use Pomodoro timers to get myself to do the work. I'm going to use focus music and binaural beats and all of these different tools that exist to help you produce um, and help you show up. None of which you need if you are excited about the project. But when you're not, you do need them. And, And so I think there's a place for them.
0: You have a podcast that is a successful, profitable podcast Mm -hmm. and that you built as an independent. And that's not something a lot of people can say. And I think that you did that by finding, identifying a need that was out there and filling it.
1: Uh, So, I originally started the show in 2016. I had the idea the previous december so december 2015 and launched it in like 11 days or something like that and it was immediately clear that this was was filling some need as far as as um what audiences were looking for in the personal development space but i didn't go into it knowing that that need was there or or that really there was any chance of this doing well I had previously hosted two or three podcasts and like saw what those numbers were like, and I just kind of expected the same thing. Um, so I I stumbled into oh there's this massive gap here that that I can fill, and I also stumbled into one of the the key things that I talk about now. Like I'm, I'm I could not launch my show this coming January and have it be nearly as successful, and a big part of that is the landscape in personal development is very different. I happened to launch right around when a number of major authors and and people with large brands were using the term tiny to refer to habits and, and behaviors and so on and so forth. And so I happened to ride that wave. Now, what I did very purposely was I recognized the wave was happening and I saw the numbers very immediately and I decided to go daily in order to capture as much of that attention as I could without ever planning on hosting a daily show. And so I had nothing in the backlog. I was waking up, recording episodes, uh, doing the edit that day, and publishing that night, and repeating the next day. Uh, Or rather, it gave me an opportunity to speak directly to my audience in a way that other podcasters weren't at the time. So I was able to ask a question, get the answers, and talk about it tomorrow. Um, And that kind of turnaround was ridiculous, uh, not something that I I would necessarily recommend would work super well today. But at the time, again, podcasters were not even really talking to their community, much less doing it with such a fast turnover. Um, So there were all of these decisions that were really reactions to what I was seeing, but were driven by me paying very close attention to what was happening. And that's what I think I'm I'm very good at. Not even so much like, oh, I know what uh, role I fill or anything like that. I think it's, I look at numbers constantly, like I, to an obsessive degree, and I really dive into those numbers and I really try to paint a story around what those numbers are telling me and then make decisions based on what I'm seeing there versus what the the larger industry is saying should be happening. Um And that's why when I try something and I don't see and not like not even a little bit of an an outcome, I kill it immediately because there's no point continuing to spend my time on it just because some blogger said that I should do it. But when I do see something's working, I go immediately as as hard into it as I can, regardless of what people tell me I should do. Because as a perfect example, in those early days when I was doing daily and I had this fast turnaround cycle... I had the idea to give people my phone number. Um, and so I set up a, a Google Voice number and actually went into to a number of uh, forums, like podcaster forums, and just asked, like, does anyone think this is a good idea? Has anyone done this? Every single person said, no, that's a horrible idea. Don't do it. It's a waste <laughs> of time. So on and so forth. I did it. And I spoke with maybe 30, 40, like super early listeners in over the course of the next like few weeks. That became episode ideas through the rest of the year. Those 30 people, I can connect directly back to large groups of, of current listeners and fans that came from those original 30. Like They became super fans in a way that I didn't really expect. And it was because I thought something might work based on what I was seeing. I asked people if they thought it would work. They said no. And I said, okay, I'm going to try it anyway. Yeah, I think that's what I'm I'm good at is, is really just paying attention to what's happening and acting based on that.
0: We started this conversation about, you know, how do you create content? And you're saying, well, you have to really, you have to be excited and engage with it. But I, I imagine there were days when you were doing your show every day, where you were not feeling excited about talking about whatever you were talking about, but you were excited about the whole process of trying to grow a podcast and to figure out what was working.
1: That first year, like podcasting wasn't new to me, but producing a show daily as a process was very new to me. I happened to, to, that was the first time I ever quit my job to try to be self-employed. So I also had a a lot of excitement around that and what I could do in a day, but not having to commute or or just focusing on my things. Um, So there was a lot of, there plenty of episodes in those those first 365 ish that I regret ever publishing but there was a lot of excitement around the process of publishing them regardless
0: so what did you do on those mornings where you were like I don't know what I'm gonna talk about I don't want to get on here Mm. how do you get yourself to do it and how do you do it in that in that case
1: that's where what I, we were talking about earlier regarding creativity versus productivity like that's where the the tips and tricks part of things sort of pops up right so over the years i've learned that i respond really well to pomodoros so for those who aren't familiar a pomodoro is a 25 minute timer uh, you work for 25 minutes when it goes off you rest for five uh, and then you repeat the cycle five times and then finally you take a longer break that really gets me like having a clock counting down really gets me to, to dial in. And so whenever I am struggling with anything that I just don't want to do or I'm not excited about or whatever it is, I lean to that and I, I, um, have a, not really that unique of a system for my to-do list, but the way that I organize it is, is very tailored to like how my brain works and, and how I want to see information laid out where it's pretty much just focused on one item at a time. I can't really see the rest of the list. Uh, and, and things aren't there to sort of get me to get distracted and so on and so forth. Um, so I, I just lean really heavily on like the tools that that exist to help people get more productive and, and get work done. And I just accept that those episodes aren't going to be that creative because I'm not engaging with the, the like creative process for that. But that's because I don't want to because that topic is just not that interesting to me. However, my audience still wants to hear it. So I'm going to
0: produce it. I talked to so many young people who you know, maybe they do what you did, which is quit their job to start their own creative endeavor Mm. or um, are working remotely for the first time. And it seems really exciting at first because of all the flexibility. Um, And then they find they they just start spinning. Yeah. It just is really hard.
1: 2014, I graduated college, took my first job. I actually did quit once before because it was a horrible job. Uh, And this was like maybe six months in. Moved back in with my parents and was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I ended up working with that same company as a contractor. So then I ended up taking the full-time job again. Uh, Moved back to the city, worked with them for another six months, and then quit again. Um, This was end of 2015. So that was when I had the idea for Tiny Leaps. The goal wasn't actually to do that full-time. The goal was to start a web development agency. Um, So I, I quit, started my agency... In the background, I started this little tiny podcast thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just do that on the side. Um, I ended up dominating all of my time um, because it did so well and I decided to go daily like an idiot. That first year, I ended up running out of money in December. Like there, I had a number of clients that were on retainer uh, that was just barely bringing in enough to, to scrape by and I lived in New York City at the time, which is not a cheap place to do this. Um... And then over the course of 24 hours, 70% of my clients canceled. And like, I wasn't smart enough at the time to build any kind of like, like last minute cancellation, or you owe me this amount or any of that stuff into the contract. And so it was just overnight, I lost 75% of my income and could not recover it for the rest of that year. So end of 2015, I decided to get another job. Um, I recognized that part of my issue was sales and and negotiating and so on and so forth. So I took a sales job, basically like a boiler room style ad sales position um, and did that for six months, which really did help. There's something about negotiating 250K contracts that you're like, oh, the $3,000 I'm asking for is nothing like I, I can definitely uh, charge that. Um, so that was really, really worth the experience. But something I learned in that first year that ultimately ended in failure in the sense of like my web design agency failed, but success in the sense that Tiny Leaps wouldn't exist without that year. Something that I really learned was you can do anything you want so long as you can afford it. And... What that means to me, and it's still something I think about to this day, when you're self-employed, it feels like you need to constantly be working because where is the money going to come from otherwise? And so the mistake a lot of people make is they burn themselves out. They're just constantly going, 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 not recognizing what burnout even looks like because they've probably never really experienced it in in any sort of major way. But then also having this external pressure of, I need to pay my bills, so I'm just going to keep going. And they end up burning out and getting into this spot where now they hate the thing they were doing because it's tied to this this state of just extreme stress. Um, and they can no longer really produce what they need to produce because they're burned out and, and not really able to engage in the same way. And that leads to closing up shop or doing a poor job and losing clients or whatever. That concept of you being able to do whatever you want, as long as you can afford it, That's really helped me to avoid that because something it reminds me of is those three days where I'm self-employed and I'm doing nothing, that's okay as long as I have the money to pay for rent the next month and food the next month. And like I don't actually have to hustle, hustle, hustle. There's no actual requirement for me to do that in order Mm -hmm. to be self-employed. The requirement is that I can pay my bills. But as long as that is covered... I could not work at all if I really wanted to. Now, I'm not going to do that, but like I I could. And I think people forget that like there is an actual choice that you can make to just work less and either charge more or take better clients or whatever your compromise needs to be to make that possible. But you can just choose to work less. You don't actually have to hustle as much as we think we do. And most people who are working full-time for themselves – aren't actually working as hard as you think they are.
0: And one of the great lessons I had early on when I started doing this for myself, I was terrified to say no to a freelance client because I thought if I say no to an opportunity, they will have to have somebody else do that job and they may like that person and I may never get that job again. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to my grandfather and he said, yes, or you take too many jobs and you don't do them well and you lose all your clients.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and the reputation part matters.
0: One of the things that I've discovered is the value of community, for lack of a better word, of accountability, of people, really, of interactivity. And that's, you and I know each other because we're part of a group that meets every week, and sometimes it feels like just chit-chat, but really we are, you know, helping each other stay on track. Mm -hmm. And, And it's kind of a funny thing because it's like, well, I have like my family's livelihood depends on me getting this work done, and yet it's this weekly call with a couple of friends that's getting me to do it. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any insight onto why that works?
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's the emotion of it, right? Like we we do things emotionally and then justify them logically. And and that that's how humans have always worked we are always going to be more likely to take action because we are emotionally connected to that behavior or the things around that behavior than because we're emotionally connected to like the consequences of that behavior. So for example, the consequence of not closing that deal or not completing that deal is you don't get paid and maybe you can't pay rent or, or whatever it is. And if it's really that extreme, like the extremeness of that, Situation will drive you to take action. But if it's not that extreme, like the emotions aren't really there. Like if you lose this one particular client, you're probably not going to be out on the street. It'll be harder, but you're, you're probably not going to uh, lose your, your home for it. So something like connecting with another person and, and having them know, hey, I'm doing this thing and and here's like what's due next week or here's how I'm thinking about it. Just being connected in that way, like there is emotion and connection around the conversation that you just had and to that other person that leads you to not want to disappoint them. It leads you to think deeper about your own work and like if you need to talk to them about it, you are now engaging more deeply with the actual work itself that helps increase excitement around the work is engaging with it uh, more deeply and going through the process with it so it makes total sense why when we connect with other people around the things we're struggling with we end up being more likely to take action versus just this like elusive consequence that might come if we don't take action because that doesn't require us to really engage with it and for most of us it's not so extreme that losing this one thing is going to really break us
0: I kind of get that in the in the social context, right? But you actually broke it down to the degree where y- you built an app and you found that just even seeing another person's name in there and saying that you're going to do it influenced the outcome without like that whole social engagement?
1: Yeah. So to, to give the backstory on that, earlier this year, uh, actually this past January, I launched an app that I worked on last year called Upward. And the idea was Fairly simple. It was a habit tracker that paired you with another person who was building the same habit, and you worked together for 21 days. Um, and you could and you could uh, chat with that person. You could see their like status of the habit for that day. Um, you could see their streak, and and you could essentially just ping them to remind them, like, hey, you remember to do this. It was really basic. It was a fairly quick thing to build and put out. And after launch, we ended up getting about 5,000 total users. So that gave me a ton of really cool data around how this was changing people's behavior. Because a fairly sizable percentage of those users didn't actually want partners. They just wanted a basic habit tracker. And so they used it for that. They never requested a partner around it. And then you had the, the group of people who did request and engaged with those partners. And when you compare the two, even amongst similar habits being built... Um, the people who engaged with their partner were 150% more likely to complete their behavior each day. Like It it was actually that's shocking insane. to see the number. And and what's interesting is I then brought that to a uh, behavioral psychologist who I interviewed for my podcast and explained the experiment that I had accidentally done and, and the results I was seeing. And she said that actually plays out with the research that her and her team and, and other teams have seen wow. as well. Like having some kind of like social connection around the behavior, whether that's Directly an accountability partner, someone doing it with you, or even just someone who knows you are doing it, drastically increases the likelihood that you are going to follow through. Um, and it, it's it's stunning. So it has become something that I've I've really built into for those tasks that I am really really struggling with. Like I've I've built it directly into like how I uh, structure my productivity around it.
0: How do you think that? Um- relates to the challenges people are having in remote work. Like the other night I found I had something I had to edit and it was a challenge for me that I kept getting stuck on. And my son was working on something for school and we sat next to each other with our laptops and I felt like I was more productive, for lack of a better word, like I got it done. Do you think it's harder for people with remote work to engage that social element of productivity?
1: I think so. And and I think... You're able to replicate it through things like having Zoom calls that are just for working or or there are a number of apps and tools that have come out since the pandemic started um, that are designed specifically for like connecting you with a coworker. The problem is that it's now something you have to choose versus it passively existing in the office. And so when you go into the office prior to the pandemic, You've got coworkers there. You're sitting next to a person. And, and so people are always sort of perceiving you and, and whether or not you're actively doing things. And there is a sense of guilt tied into that. There's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of like, not one like if everyone else around you is working, you're, you're gonna work. There's actually, um, and I can't remember the name of the study at the moment, but, There are studies that show that when in a social environment you see people celebrated for a particular type of behavior or action, you're more likely to take on that behavior and action. And in a a workplace, people are celebrated all the time for getting uh, a good job done or closing this deal or or whatever it might be. And so, you're more likely to engage and work in sort of the same way that those people are working because subconsciously you want the same sort of like celebration. You now have to choose to put yourself in an environment where that can happen whether it's through these zoom calls or through these apps like that's not just built into it passively anymore and it's it's really challenging to navigate that especially if you've never had to to work from home and you've never had to work on your own and and be the only person motivating yourself a lot of people are now going through this this shift that they've never had to navigate before because they weren't entrepreneurs prior
0: Right, I think you and I have probably built up a really good stable of tools for getting the stuff done when we can't. Like there's days when when I wake up super excited, right? I'm just like there's a project I'm excited about and I can't wait to get out of bed and start working about it. But there's other days where it's really hard to get myself going.
1: Part of the price of being a creative is being allowed to miss your deadlines. Now, of course, we're talking about your own work here. Like that might not be the case for client work. That might not be the case. Like when there is an external party paying you to do this thing, sure, you might have to, to navigate that a little bit differently. But uh, with my podcast, for example, I don't actually have a set like this is the day and time that it releases. I never really have. Like it was a daily show for a while. Then I dropped it down to two a week. Then I moved it up to three. And then I went back to one. And then for a little while, I was every two weeks. And like, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. We all kind of like hear that advice of you have to be consistent and you have to do this and this and this. And like, it's one of those things that like when you really stop and question it, it doesn't hold up. Like it's not as rigid as we think it is.
0: Any other advice? I mean, I just think you've dug so much into a lot of the social science and you've also built a career as an independent. And as you said, there's a bunch of people that are newly facing these challenges. Any other advice for them?
1: The the first thing that sort of comes to mind, if I were to add to that list, is uh, kind of an offshoot of the flexibility thing, but, but not quite like the idea of just being curious and allowing yourself to learn new things, do things that are completely unrelated to your work. Like, I I really think that creativity is itself an art form. And, like, it's not just a system we apply to art. It is an art form in itself. And the most creative ideas typically, at least, again, in my experience, come from connecting things that feel completely disconnected. So, when I sit and I binge watch a show on Netflix, and I happen to notice this particular thing that um, the the producers did with it, that might show up somewhere else in a YouTube video that I'm doing. Whether I talk about it, or whether I try to mimic it, or or whatever it might be. Um, or maybe just the core ideas of, of the thing that I watch, the underlying philosophy of the script. Like, there are all of these things that might spark ideas that show up elsewhere. And in a similar way, learning to code as much as that is a like analytical thing. For me, that doubled or tripled my creativity because I, I now think about my process differently. I think about my work differently. There are analogies between coding and personal development. There are analogies between all of these things that I've, I've learned that I can now talk about and apply in different ways. And that then change the way that I view the larger picture.
0: I want to make sure we cover one idea that you've been talking about a lot, and it applies to creativity. Probably it applies more to productivity, but I think you've opened my eyes a little bit to a different take on the sort of self-improvement world. Mm -hmm. And that is the impact of the outside world and our culture.
1: This is something that I picked up over the almost seven years now of hosting tiny leaps where I originally started the show. The really simple idea. I wanted to make personal development more practical. At the time, my view on things was people aren't doing these things that we know work simply because it felt out of reach for them, whether from an understanding perspective or, uh, uh, there's like meditation for a long time had like a very like woo woo kind of like. Um, uh, connotation to it. And so people like it wasn't accessible in that way, or it wasn't accessible in finances or, or whatever it was. Um, so my idea was, I'm going to take these things we know work, I'm going to package them in a way that feels accessible, feels like you could do this right now. And I'm going to share that. And And that's worked very well. However, over the years, I keep running into this issue, where people write me and and, and mention like, that they're trying to do these things they're trying to to meditate, they're trying to um, uh, eat healthier, they're trying to work out and their environment is basically stopping them. Like there, there's so much uh, friction in between where they are now and the thing that they want to do, forget the actual end goal, but like just the activity, there's so much friction in between those two things that, it makes it near impossible for them to take action, and I, I just got this message over and over again, and and I just started thinking, like, you know, that is really tough. Like, if you want to eat healthy, but you live in a food desert where access to to healthy, fresh foods is is limited, it's going to be pretty hard for you to consistently do that. Yeah, the first week or two weeks, you might make the trip out to the next town over and and get food there, and and then make the trip back, and maybe it's nice, and you play a podcast and whatever. But at some point, something is going to happen that makes that longer trip harder to do. And you're never going to be able to build it as a long-term habit. So I really started to think about, well, what are the systems that exist at, at all levels, whether that's societal or political or cultural, that are really getting in the way of our, our personal improvement? And to your point, Marion, like, that applies to our creativity as well. Like If you are not... Uh, uh, living in an area that you feel safe in, or if you don't feel safe in your home, or uh, in in my family's case, they don't own their home and they just had to move last minute because the landlord decided he was going to sell it and didn't give them much notice. Like if these types of things are possible, then you're going to have a really hard time sitting and being creative and engaging with the creative process and taking the space you need to actually think about the things that you're consuming rather than just consuming. Um, so I don't have an answer, and everyone I've spoken to, this has become kind of my like pet project with the podcast. Is is now speaking to people who are way more qualified to speak on this than I can. So psychologists and and sociologists and, and people who've actually done the research. And there's not much we can easily do about it, especially not as individuals. And, and so, my my larger message now has just become, we have to be kind to ourselves. If we can't be creative today, that's okay. There is so much on your plate. There's so much that you're dealing with and navigating and have to having to stress about that you have to let it be okay that You're just not feeling creative right now or you're just not in a place to be able to think or maybe you are showing up and clocking in to write, but the quality of stuff you're writing is absolutely terrible. Be kind to yourself. Give yourself the space required to actually like be a human being. And ultimately, that's all we can do for right now. But that has to be where we start.
0: And if you would give someone else a high five for achieving Give yourself a double high five because you did twice the work to get there to make that achievement.
1: Yeah. And let yourself recognize how hard you're working. And I think that's really what it comes down to when I say like be human to yourself. Allow yourself to fail and let that be okay. But the reason you do that is so that you don't beat yourself up and never try again. And that also means allowing yourself to over-celebrate when you do something great because you really had to work for it.
0: There's a great phrase I heard from a wrestling coach. He said, there's winning and there's learning. Yeah. As we wrap up, any final advice for being a grounded creator?
1: Uh, I think first step, uh, you've got to follow and subscribe to the Grounded Creators podcast. (laughs) I think that's kind of a requirement to being a grounded creator. Like nothing specific. I think this is why I love the name of your show, like the idea of being grounded in the work that you do. For me, that means getting super in tune to how you work. And so just to bring it back to the top of this episode very quickly, I think if you are trying to be a creator or you are a creator or wherever you're at in your journey, Take the time to get in tune with how you work and what allows you to be creative. It's going to change everything about how you think about your creativity and how you think about yourself.
0: I'm sorry, but I can't help but asking a follow-up question. How the hell do I do that?
1: There is a shocking difference between those who allow themselves the space to think. And that could mean journaling. That could mean just sitting and reflecting, actually taking in what happens around you and what you're doing and why it happened and really asking those questions there's a shocking difference between the people who let themselves do that and the people who sort of run away from it but letting yourself do that is ultimately how you find the answer of what works for me and what doesn't because if the answers are there you're just never actually paying enough attention to recognize them
0: Greg and I and Heather Parody who's been on the show too we meet up every week And we keep each other accountable. And this has been a really powerful resource for me, and I think for them as well. Having somebody in your corner that understands that we all go through ups and downs as a creative, and yet we all want to stay accountable and keep ourselves moving forward. Sometimes you just need help. Sometimes you just need encouragement. Last year, I picked a couple of words to guide me through the year. And one of them was friendship. The year before, one of my words was collaboration. And I'm so fortunate that that intentional choice to surround myself, even virtually, with people who can support me and keep me accountable, it's been really powerful. Greg and Heather aren't the only ones. You've heard some of the other people on this podcast, in fact. And you'll hear more in the future. Erica Holthausen is another one of those people who's been such a great supporter. But that's not why I invited her on. I invited her on because she teaches people how to write for high-profile publications, how to get published in a way that supports your business and your content strategy. So that's the next episode of Grounded Content. Make sure you hit the follow button, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.